0: What's going on good people of the internet? It is time for panel to panel the podcast where a bunch of folks shoot the breeze and talk about comic books and such. We are back once again, once again, talking all that good stuff. And you know, we had to do it big for pride month. You know, we had to do it big and we are continuing with our pride annuals And this week as we've already talked about. We are sitting down with writer Joe Glass, the creator of the amazing universe that is the Pride for Pride Volume 1, The Pride Adventures, and Pride Volume 2, as well as amazing other Kickstarter-funded books like Acceptable Losses, like Glitter Vipers, and like The Miracles. So make sure that you turn the page with us in this brand new episode, that way you can hear about Joe Glass's journey, its history, in comics, and everything that goes in between with that. And make sure that you follow us on Twitter at P2P underscore podcast as well as Instagram and TikTok. I don't know why I didn't include those, but it's fine. And you can all uh, listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, YouTube, all those great places. That way you can tune in, make sure you listen to us because we love that you are subscribed to this podcast. And make sure you check out all of our amazing episodes. And we will be back next week with some brand new content for you. But this week, turn that page with us on this brand new episode of Panels to Panel. All right. So, you know, like, the, the, the one question that I always ask when someone comes on the show is, like, what is your origin story? What made you want to be the person to pick up a comic book and tell a story? Like, like there's always that, that one issue that everybody says. Like, what was that one issue for you?
1: Um, I guess the, the, the issue that really made me want to start telling stories of my own um, would kind of be Generation X issue one, um, because that series was the first comic series that I finally started collecting and um, reading, like everything I could find of it and all of that. Um, absolutely adored those characters and, you know, that sort of the setting and everything. Um, it was probably a few issues in, though, really, that made me think, like, I want to tell stories like this. Um, and I can't remember the exact issue number. I think it might be either like four or five, maybe. Um, but it was like a story where, like, Paige Goofrey, um has has discovered the truth about the Lexi virus, and she doesn't take it very well, um, and she goes off the rails a little bit with some alcohol, and it's it's very clearly like it's it's very on the nose that it's it's an AIDS allegory, that it's HIV AIDS, and. For me, as a teenager, like, I, I must have been about 12 at the time. Um, and I, like, was growing up in the, you know, 80s and early 90s um, and seeing, like, things like, you know, the AIDS advert with gr- giant gr- AIDS written on it and oh. um, stuff like that. So, like, it was very much even to a kid, like, a pre-sexual kid, That is, it was a very present concern, particularly for someone who even at that point was pretty damn sure I was gay. Um, So it was, uh, that was a kind of big moment for me um, to see that in a comic book that I loved so much. Um, And it kind of made me think like, I want to be able to tell those kind of stories. I want to tell the kinds of things which I'm afraid of and the kind of things which feel like a part of my life. Um, So that was, that was probably... Around the time that, yeah, I decided that I'm going to make this. I initially thought I was going to be a comic book artist. Um, very quickly discovered that I am not art- artistically um, inclined. Um, <laughs> right. So that's when uh, I realised that whether I could not do... If I couldn't do that, I did know that I could I could tell a story. And I was, like, a big fan of, you know, English literature and writing stories and things like that. So... Um, it just felt natural to me. Then okay, I guess I'll them. Um. All
0: right, all right. So like, but that that's always, that's always one of those hard things you kind of have to deal with, where it's like you stop like picking up the pen for art, but you still appreciate the art. And okay, um, I, like like when it comes to writing specifically, what like like, I, like I've always admired your work from the, from the aspect of you aren't afraid to have queer characters front and center, no matter mm-hmm. what happens, and what like what made you tackle that from jump without any fear whatsoever?
1: Um, for me it was just a matter of um as, as you could probably guess like I was a big fan of x-men um as a whole like generation X was the comic for me, but like x-men as a whole uh line i mean to the point that like when i first started reading comics i only read x-men um i wouldn't even touch anything outside in the wide marvel universe because to me it had i had no interest in it it was an x-men you know it it had no appeal to me and i think that came from the fact that you know x-men in particular was a great allegory and a great metaphor for the queer experience and being a queer teenager that was like really important because that was about all the representation that I had Mm -hmm. but it just got to a point where I was maybe getting on to like 15 16 and it was just feeling like it's it's great but it's there I, I you know I get to have the fantasy about the school with people like me blah 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 but it's not actually true like it's not true to our experience and it's not it's an allegory it's still a metaphor and it got to a point where that kind of invisible representation just felt like another kind of closet um <clears throat> it might be a glass closet or whatever but like it was still a closet it was still like you know oh we can admit these things happen but we can't talk about them directly and i decided when I was going to make my own stories I wasn't going to be a part of that like I was going to have explicitly and openly queer characters and not least because what few queer characters were in comics and bear in mind at that time I hadn't come across a single one as yet like all I come across like North Star wasn't actively in the books very often at the time I was reading as a teenager um and when he did appear he's in for like maybe a couple issues and like it's it's very, very rarely stuck on like his um, sexuality. So it got to a point where I was just like, you know what? Um, I'll If I'm going to tell me stories, I'm going to be open about it. And I'm going to talk about it and involve the wider LGBTQ community as well. Because there were so many people who were like my friends and people that I met that were not at all represented and didn't have their stories being told at all. Um, So I I was straight away. But was just the the main thing for me was like I was going to include that in my in my own work. Right. So
0: you you touched on something that like I've been like I like I it's funny we were I I was just talking about this on another podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, we have noticed recently while there has been sort of an uptick with mainstream comic books sort of following your lead in a way, having more representation. Like, yeah, North Star was a thing, and like like as the 2000s progressed, you would see Batwoman and Midnight and Apollo occasionally get their time to shine, but now we're seeing this like renaissance of queer characters being out, like, out in the center, and mm-hmm. I, 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 I've always been wanting to know how you feel about that. Almost like you kind of were a harbinger of that, and we're going to talk about like your work with that. But before we even dive into that, how do you feel about that, like, it's starting to be a little bit of a push? Like, there's always that chance, like, it could be snatched away from us, but that little bit of a push is kind of nice, and I want to get your feel for it. Like, it's very
1: nice to think that maybe I'm a harbinger, but, like, I would say that I, I was hardly the first person, <clears throat> excuse me, doing explicitly queer inclusion in comics. Um I maybe i was doing a lot more in superhero comics certainly because um with the pride obviously another thing aspect of the pride was it's a superhero book because i love superhero books that is my favorite genre um and so like for me like obviously the first thing i'm going to do is a superhero series and at that particular time when i started uh, there was very little um queer representation in comics, or what they was, was very much um, went down a singular path of representation. Um, so your gay guys, if they appeared, never talked about relationships, never talked about love. Um, pretty much always would be a coming out story, and then that's it. They would just disappear then. Or, like, you, they just wouldn't talk about the sexuality. And they would be as macho as they came. Um, so that, you know, they there was no idea of um showing other kinds of masculinity or anything like that. And what on the other end of the spectrum, you had like gay female characters who were far more common um but were often hypersexualized and not necessarily toward the female market. Like they were often hypersexualized for a straight teen boy readership. Mm-hmm. And that's not, obviously not right either. So <clears throat> it just got it's it's nice to see the things have improved because like certainly since um, the the landscape now um, of queer representation in superhero comics in particular is far broader than it ever was before. And that is wonderful to see. I do think there's still a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of things. Oh yeah. And there's a, a lot of things which Marvel and DC will never do in their books, will never do in their books, which, thankfully, independent superhero stories could do. Um, the issue then becomes an issue with that, but a lot of independent publishers don't like doing superhero stories because... They're worried about uh, competing with Marvel and DC, which is just like, well, no one's out here trying to create a connected universe. We're just trying to tell stories. So um yeah, it's it's great to see. I'm very happy that they're out there. Um, it would be nice to be a part of it someday. Um, but you know, we'll see if that ever comes to pass. Um,
0: There's always an opportunity
1: been a few opportunities so far and i can't Ooh. say i've ever had a call <laughs> um, Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. so yeah it's um it is it is what it is I, i'm very happy about it i'm very glad to see what it's out there i would like to see more of it being written by queer creators mm. um and not straight creators thankfully a lot is Uh, And certainly with with one of the publishers in particular, most is written by queer people, which is fantastic. Um, But thankfully, when it is written by um, a straight person, it tends to be someone who's a really fantastic ally. So it's not a bad thing. Um, I just think there's still strides to be taken. Most
0: definitely. Like That's why I wanted to get your your take on that. and I want to swing back to it a little bit, because you said something, and I'm like, I'm how you feel about it but uh, your work is what matters and we're, this is a spotlight and like i just your opinions have always been so critical but always so tasteful so i love mm-hmm. hearing what you have to say and i i kind of want to hear like the origin story of the pride like obviously you wanted to create this like full-on queer book like every almost like literally you brought the whole alphabet mafia like in one book <laughs> from jump and like even like you even have that ultimate allegory of like oh the sort of Justice League Avengers like allegory wants nothing to do with this or if anything they they want it for tokenism and then mm-hmm. you have you have them create the whole team but and then they have to sort of battle the aspect of are we doing this for tokenism ourselves or are we doing this for a reason? And then you like you are articulated so well. So I want to hear how the Pride came to be, especially under your own label, for, for that matter, at
1: first. I mean, in terms of the, the Pride, like, and um, its origin story, it it literally started as just a project I tooled around with in the background for my own um, pleasure. Like, I started coming up with a lot of the concepts for the Pride when I was 16. Um, so, in many ways, the Pride has been long gestating. Okay. Um I think the very first scene I wrote for the Pride was the bar scene from issue one. And that was probably written when I was about 17, 18 years old. Um, at that time, I related to the character of Wolf more than I did Fab Man. And like, as I've gotten older, it's actually flipped. I relate to Fab Man a lot more than I do uh, Wolf. That's actually um, funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just one of those things which um, sort of comes from working um, in a project and in a world for a long time. Um, But I think, like, that was kind of the origins. I kind of was working on it almost entirely just for myself, because I was very much of the impression at that point that no one wanted to read this. No one wanted this kind of book. It's just me. Um, I'm just doing this to get it out of my head, because, you know, it otherwise just screams around in circles in my head. So I would doodle the characters. Um, I'd come up with rough designs. I'd write scenes. I'd write up character descriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then it got to, I, I think I'd even writ, written the entire script to ish, to the first issue. Um, and it got to when I was, um, God, what was I, 23, 23, maybe 24. Um, and I started making a comic book with some friends um, called Stiff's. Uh, which was like this horror comedy series, um, which oh. sadly never completed. Um, but we, we were working on that. And one night they come into my room because we were all living together as well at the time. Um, and I was working on The prize, and they were reading it over my shoulder. And they turned to me and they were like, dude, you've got to make this. It's really good. And bear in mind like these two guys are allies they're straight guys they're my best some of my best friends that i've ever had but like you know and obviously great collaborators i've worked with them um but they they were the ones to tell me like you know we're not the audience but we think this is good and we think you should make it so that's when i decided okay then i'll do it so Um, you know, and, and like, this was like first comics, so like very much learning by mistake. So like we, we were idiots. We had, uh, Gavin Mitchell was drawing the horror comedy as well. Um, Mm. and we were like, oh, do you want to draw this superhero thing too? And we're like, oh yeah, you you could do like one a month. it will be perfect. And like, like that was going to happen because he was in university at the time as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So obviously that's why the pride season wound up being like all different artists and everything. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it very quickly, when we got the first issues out, went to some comic cons, but it became evident that people were in, weren't interested in having explicitly LGBTQ superhero stories. And when I say explicitly, I don't mean like in a triple X way, I mean like in a just- Like an out an open, open way, form. like you, like yeah.
0: that's the one thing that we always like talk about is the fact that mm-hmm. we're allowed to exist without it being like an erotica novel. Yeah, yeah. That was a big thing for me
1: with, with doing it because a lot of gay comics which were out there
0: <clears throat> were
1: adults. They were, they were either readers or they were sexy times. And I wanted to make a superhero story. I want to make something which would fit comfortably on the shelves alongside Avengers or Justice League and be of the same level of content as those books. So that you know the same age groups who were reading those could read The Pride and it not be an issue. But I also didn't want to shy away from the queer experience and queer stories Mm -hmm. because there was an aspect of, you know, when they did, when comics did do a queer story, there were times when they made them mature content titles when there was literally no mature content in there, where Uh it was just about being gay. And that is incredibly offensive because Mm -hmm you're implying that by nature, we are not something that should be around younger people, that we should not be around polite society or whatever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. exactly. And it's, it's incredibly offensive. So for me, I, a big part of <clears throat> telling these queer stories was showing that actually they're not adult stories. <clears throat> they're not mature readers only. And that they are things which, anyone can relate to Um, and that was something which I really loved when the pride came out is like over time and as the audience built there was actually a lot of the audience who were straight who were not the target audience as it were but who were reading it and genuinely loving it and often even coming to me be like I'd never thought about this particular situation but this way before but I totally understand it I felt this way before Um, obviously not gay but I feel I felt like that and to me, that feels like a way to try and improve a situation. Which is for me when what I hope is the last thing of like the pride when all is said and done, is that on some level it has helped some people. And hopefully that's that was kind of what then made me want to continue doing it. Like because it felt like in those first Comic Cons and the first sort of t- people coming up to me and, and thanking me and giving me like congratulations and whatever, it was it very much felt like this comic meant something to people um, in a way that it, it had meant something to me. Um, so, for me, that's, all, that's what I would hope is the legacy of Pride is that, you know, it, it did some good. So, that, that was what made me sort of want to keep on doing it.
0: That is awesome. And like, I, re- I remember when I first bought. The, the trade and like sp- like I sped redness the first night like, like I remember when even like you sent me the copy I was very much like holy crap and it was it was one of the, at the time where I remember like like after I had Rex and I was struggling with myself I just I I was very still like like, like impacted specifically by Fat Man because he had this like, like 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 sort of look inside of himself and realize that like yeah he wants to be this poster boy he wants to have this way about him but he has to also care about the individuals that he brings aboard and that always resonated like with me so much because it, it's hard especially like for sort of masculine presenting gays like it's hard to actually accept being that like like like, the, like, like yourself like, and yeah. like existing in society so like for someone like wolf to come in and sort of be honest with him and be like yo you need to check yourself at the door and realize what's going on that always resonated with me in a big way like it's it's crazy how much you pack not only in the first volume but then in the, in the adventures and then the second volume you tell all these multi multifaceted stories within these issues and then they even with bear later on it was just like yo like so many hard strings tugged at, at one time and i just like I, I don't know how you came up with this, like, like from like all the even just the first volume alone. Like I I will never know how you just did all that. Like I, I would love to just pick your brain about
1: that for like I think it's just for me, but my favorite part of telling stories is um character arcs. And so for me, like I don't often necessarily think you're in the biggest of plots um or anything like that in terms of the story. It's much more about what is the particular character arc for the characters and <clears throat> what, what what is going to sort of result in the most um, emotional resonance um, in any particular scene. And that's not to say like, that I just go in there with like a clinical sort of like, oh, what's gonna make someone cry or what's gonna make someone laugh or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's more just that the, evoking those emotions makes any kind of story you tell mean more to someone and that is the kind of storytelling which always has interested me more um so like for me like i'm not, like i the pride's first season was very much written on the fly um so i i had a villain and i had an overarching idea of what the plot was but like if you actually read The Pride season one, the villain doesn't actually appear that much. Um, the villain's really well. <laughs> no, like he he maybe like he appears for maybe a couple of pages per issue, and that is it, um, until like the last issue. Um, and then the majority of the rest of the drama and the driving force for that first season was about the characters and about what they were going through and that you know, then dealing with each other because they're a team coming together um, but also dealing with their own personal demons and things like that so you know it was very much i wanted to tell the story of wolf dealing with the fact that him being outed was what caused him a massive backslide in his life um fab man dealing with the fact that just being himself makes him treated as a as a joke a lot of the time um and you know and various little things like that and Frost dealing with being someone who wants to call everyone at arm's length, but clearly is a lot more emotional than she lets on. So it was it was very much a case of just exploring the characters and using that to drive the story forward, because I feel like the exploring a character arc is just way more interesting to me than just event happens, event happens, event happens,
0: you know? Like, it feels as if, and like I've been hoping every year for a hot minute now, like waiting for a volume three just to slide out in a press release. Because it really feels like now more than ever, pride is needed. Like, like their stories oh, yeah. are so impactful. Like I can't, like I to, I told you before, like like in, in DMs that I still want a Fab Man shirt. Like, like this stuff is needed because not only in your infancy, like in your infancy of your career, you created this sort of like totem of what queer stories can be but almost like it's iconic you, you've done something that no one else can say they've done which is represent almost everybody in a narrative in a tasteful way you've shown the comic community that it's not political it's not a joke it's literally straight up mm-hmm. these people's lives is it a little bit on the nose yeah but it's done in a way that is like like can be shown and be like, like, like a symbol for anybody
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, and certainly uh, there are plans for <clears throat> a third volume, and even a fourth volume, um, and even more beyond that is in the back of my head. I'd like to continue it for a while. Um, unfortunately, you know, life got in the way a little bit. Um, with, what with you know, the pandemic situation, um, yeah. Yeah. The complete <laughs> breakdown of. Um, any kind of structure with who we were with um, and yeah it's it's meant for you know we've had to rethink a lot of things about you know wh- who the pride is connected to and um, who has the best interests in the story um, going forward okay. so yeah there's some big changes when it does get announced but there will be more pride announced in the future um, I don't know when exactly but um, and it's probably gonna be a little while yet again, which I, I, I'll be entirely honest, hurts me so much because this series is so important to me. Um, it's, I, I love all of my stories, I love all of my books, but the pride is absolutely my baby and incredibly important to me. So to have it get a little dropped out with the bathwater a little bit um, through the pandemic, and even a little bit before that, to be honest, Um, it really hurt, and it really caused a lot of damage to me and my mental health. Um, but thankfully, there, you know, there's light at the end of this tunnel. There's going to be more. Um, it's just unfortunately going to take a while, um, and it is the biggest gap we've ever had, um, in any release of the Pride, anything, um since we started and like i started doing this book by myself out of my own pocket and things like that you'd think that would cause the longest gaps i used i'd three months between issues at times um but sadly we're now at the point where it's been three years since there's been any new content um Obviously, we had the Omnibus release through Dark Horse, which was fantastic and amazing and still selling fantastic to, um, to my knowledge. So I love to see that. And I love that the book is spreading further and wider than it ever did before. Um, but yeah, we we needed a new direction for the future. Um, and, you know, because of your know, various obstacles, um, it has meant that, yeah, it's going to be a while, but there will be more because I, I won't let this thing die
0: i love the like optimism with it like like yeah you face adversity but you're still going um that kind of asked one of the questions i was gonna pose but you know what it's cool it's cool um but like like you I, i gotta say though i have to commend you you didn't just let the pandemic sort of like stall everything that you worked on in fact you not only had multiple successful kickstarters to launch other books You've created like three other amazing series, and the one that really stuck out to me, like above all else, because like I've read all three, they're amazing. But Acceptable yeah. Loss has really resonated with me because it was like your first shot, kind of like creating a superhero that is, that, that is like anybody could see as a hero, but who's also gay. Like you left it on, like like you let, like you had that balance, you had that ability. To show that like mm-hmm. we, we can tell that story while also having it be an inspiration and I, I'm waiting for more issues dang it because it was so good like as somebody who isn't as always patriotic as I want to be yeah. because this country is a mess but like th- that narrative like, like, like someone who is fighting for a country that probably doesn't really like him that much he mm-hmm. still is doing what he has to and I always admired that I kind of want to like touch him on accessible losses the because it's a narrative that kind
1: of needs to continue um it's it's really funny because acceptable losses <clears throat> excuse me was always designed as just a one-shot um, oh man i know it was literally it was the whole purpose for acceptable losses was to show that i could tell something which was grittier and darker like because a big part of the pride was i specifically didn't want to do grim and gritty like i specific, like a lot of superhero comics when I started doing the Pride were in that zone. And we had been for nearly a decade. Um, and I was just like, no, nah, we need to get out of it. We need to get back to like bright, and hopeful and stuff. So I wanted to show, however, that I can do that. But it was very much a case of just doing this one-shot story. And I did leave it open because I did think like, you know, the politics of it were interesting, but the sort of way of talking about patriotism Um, and standing up for your country and your beliefs and all this it's interesting stuff Um, so I left it open to the idea that like maybe but one day um, we could come back and do something but I, I certainly don't see it as a series I always see it as like if I did come back to it it would be like another one shot which could be completely read by itself self contained or you could read it in conjunction with Acceptable Losses and you know you get like a wider story but like it's it's that aspect of just it's one I can dip into if I ever wanted to kind of thing, and and there's there's ideas noodling around maybe someday, mm-hmm. um, but like for now it's very much just um, it was something I needed to get out um, and to show like the, a, a little bit more of a broadness of what I could do, um, so like the main character being gay um, that actually was a very much last-minute decision. Um, I was writing the script, and I had no intention of of there being um, any kind of LGBTQ um, characters in this book. Like, I had no um, plan for it. Like, not that I was actively not wanting to include it, but, like, I just didn't plan for any kind of romantic subtext to be in there or it to ever come up. And then... I literally realized, you know, back to like what I'd always said about how, like, anything I make would include LGBTQ people, and I just went, well, fine, I'll just make the main characters kiss, like, and that's that's literally it, that was the entirety of where that came from. it wasn't even to me, like, it wasn't even a case of, like, God, oh, you know, because then we can show that, you know, you can be a, you know, this super soldier and also be gay and all this. It was purely a case of just like, you know what? I always made a commitment of including LGBTQ characters in everything I do. Why would, why should I let this be the one book where that doesn't happen? Right. So I just, I just threw it in there and it works. And I love how everyone says that. But it works, and like I've even seen people who usually deride my work and me and my work, you know, you know the type, um, say that they like that one and they like how that works. And I'm just like, this is what I'm saying. As being queer is not political. As being queer is not, you know, pushing it in your face. It's just there, you know. It's just something which happens sometimes. Um, so. For me, like, I think ultimately that's kind of where that came from in the end with those characters was just like, it's just something which happens. It's why I hate it whenever um, you see like, um, like Kate Kenneth Ige saying about how they want, were looking, waiting for it to come naturally or organically, organically um, in the scripts or the stories of including a gay character in the MCU. And I'm like, there ain't nothing about a script which is organic. It's all manufactured, it's all created. It is all content that is built. You do not, it does not just flow out of the writer. Like a writer is working to build something. They are building a story. Um, so whenever someone says, like, oh, yeah, we wait for that inclusion to happen organically, it's just no, 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 no. You just do it. You just do it. That's all it that's all it comes down to. And that's all that. Like say but I came down to inacceptable losses was I was just like, I'm got a gay character in you get make him kiss. I
0: love that so much. Like I, I just love the brutal honesty because you're right, like there's not enough of it and when that subtle mm-hmm. thing of like, Oh, we're waiting for that story, but like you're not though. You're just yeah waiting, like, like you're waiting for it to be convenient and you're waiting for the moment where you don't have to rock the, like, where it won't come off like you're rocking the boat, like mm-hmm. like I remember when, e- when Eternals came out and they like bit, made all the big hype in the press about it and then China didn't want to publish it and all that jazz and it's just like, mm-hmm. and then they're and even now with America Chavez, they're over here hyping up and getting all this going and then they're like, we're taking such a big stand against China I'm like, no you're not this, this is your moment to choose
1: the thing is, though, with uh, with that sort of comment and with Disney saying that, is there's two elements to it. Firstly, China hasn't shown an MCU film in ages. Um, China's own um, domestic um, film industry is so much more successful than outside uh, country films airing in China, that China doesn't really have much interest in China films. Um, so... Disney to be like, well, we're standing up to us. It's just like, no, you knew they were going to air it anyway. Like they didn't air return They didn't air uh or they didn't air Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi st- still hasn't aired in in China, even though ostensibly you could argue that you know Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Studios, and Disney made that film for the Chinese audience, um, expecting it to do well there. But like, as far as I'm aware, China still have not actually aired that film. Um, so like when they say like, oh, we're standing up to China. No, you weren't. They weren't going to hear it anyway. Um, so it's, it's not standing up to them at all. Secondly, the America Chavez in um, Multiverse of Madness, unfortunately, in terms of queer representation, is a massive letdown. Um Like, I love the actress. I thought she was fantastic. She was actually my favourite part of that film. Um, well, no, that's not true. Wanda was my favourite part of that film. Like, she had... She had which every is right. fair. Which is fair. Yeah, you know, I support women's wrongs as much as I support women's rights.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> but I, I loved American Chavez. She was actually the, the second most interesting thing in that entire film. The problem with her was as LGBTQ representation, she was not great. Um, purely because the extent of Marvel's LGBTQ representation with this character, who in the comics is openly and explicitly and unashamedly queer. Was that she had a rainbow pride flag badge? That
0: was, and that was, it. It. Like, that she was about it. Her, parent, her mom's, she but bitch. she didn't talk about mm-hmm. herself.
1: Yeah, exactly. She has a. We get a bit of backstory as well with moms, which is literally like less than a minute, if I remember, from all the stories about how um, countries weren't going to wear it, blah blah. blah. Mm. Um, but like, okay, that just shows that her mom's are gay, That doesn't show that she's gay, right. like. Gay parents do not explicitly create gay children. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, like I, if, if anything, straight parents are the ones creating the gay children. So, you know, yeah. Um, so for them, for them to be like, oh, this was a this is our amazing gay representation, and it's just like, no, it's not. She doesn't talk about being queer once. She doesn't talk about girlfriends or being attracted to girls or anything like that, once in the whole film. Like, there is no aspect of that character visually or audibly or anything in the film beyond wearing a rainbow pin and has a couple of gay moms, which says LGBTQ. This is a character who, in the comics, is one of the most prominent Marvel gay characters in the fucking line. And on the films, you wouldn't know she was gay. You knew that her parents were gay, but you you wouldn't know that she was. And, like, she could even be a straight character who wears a Rainbow Pride badge because her, she has gay moms. Like, it doesn't, doesn't mean...
0: doesn't mean she's gay. It means exactly. that she has gay moms.
1: It just means that she's the kid of gay parents and that she's an ally. Like, so, it, for me, that let me down because you took a character who was, you know, one of the most important and biggest visibly queer characters in Marvel continuity... And you didn't make it clear that she herself was queer. And that just felt like, and again, someone will come out, where would it come up in a movie? It's not organic. It would never come up organically, blah, 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 blah. We had plenty of time for fucking Stephen Strange to talk about how he loves his girlfriend in every Ooh, possible reality. Ooh,
0: you know? Yes.
1: And like, we, like it is, there can be time. You have to want to make the time. Is the thing when it comes to creating stories, they didn't want to. You
0: you have like the perfect perspective that I've been trying to tell people. It's just like <laughs> it was. It's like they're they're doing all right. Like we're not getting one of the Russo brothers in a in a in a group counseling session. Saying he's gay. Like we're we're doing better, but like we got a long way to go. <laughs> um,
1: Marvel Studios in terms of Marvel Studios and Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, we are we are way behind. Uh, there, but that's that's a wider mm-hmm. Hollywood problem as well, um, like comics, um, queer representation has been a lot further along than Hollywood has mm-hmm. for a long time, um, and that's even coming from someone who said that like just 10 years ago, the queer representation in comics was not that great, so mm-hmm. yeah, there is a case that like Hollywood has been particularly atrocious for the longest time, I mean, Put it like this: We are only this year going to be getting a Hollywood-produced gay rom-com. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in the term, of, uh, I think it's called Bros. Um, yeah. The trailer looks fantastic. Um, in, but in that, it is very queer. In like the whole cast and crew are gay uh, or LGBTQ. Um, it's specifically talking about the differences in gay romantic and sexual lives compared to heterosexual ones and I'm like that's amazing because like so many queer Hollywood stories when they do happen do feel like they've just done a straight romance rom-com or whatever and just made both characters the same sex yeah. so <laughs> it, you know it's going to be interesting to see that kind of stuff happening but like say, it, that is in in the case of Hollywood really new um, and in terms of Marvel Cinematic Universe in in the wider landscape of Hollywood cinematography and everything, the, the MCU has only been here for, what, 12 years now? Um, yes. Something like that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, they they would have some catching up to you, you could argue. Um, you could also argue whether that they could have been the forerunners for it from the get-go. Like, they really
0: yeah.
1: But yeah, for them to be like... Oh, we're waiting for it to kind of blah, blah, blah. It's just like you've had 10 years of films. So in, in that 10 years, they did what, 20 films or something? Um, and they, they hadn't included a single one until Endgame. And even then, it was a straight director who just threw himself in and just to, as like, oh, I it. it was a- so Endgame. jarring
0: too, like just out of nowhere. And then they wanted a pat on the back for it. Like I, I never got over how jarring.
1: The thing is, the scene itself is not jarring
0: to me, or at least to me. Not the scene itself, just the the, the aftermath of
1: Yeah, it was the fact they made such a big deal of it. And it was just like, this is not something to be praised for. This is the bare minimum. You are making a big deal because you've done the bare minimum. And that is not something anyone deserves praise for. Like, I don't care who made that film. Like, you should not be getting praised for doing the most... Basic care for a community of anything like it. It would be like if they if they didn't um, if they gone ten years without a single female character in all the films, and then in, "Oh, we're going to put a woman in this scene," and then be like, "Aren't we amazing?" And she's like, "No, no, you should be doing this for ages. That's the bare minimum." So but yeah, you did
0: something, but you really didn't.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like it felt like them trying to give themselves pats on the backs for something which was like, mm, it's not that it's it's hardly groundbreaking.
0: Right. Um like like I-, I can listen to you preach for days, man. Like I just I love your energy. Um but like one thing that I, I wanted to touch on was you your, your next project, you definitely sort of took a step out of the superhero genre with glitter but like with litter vipers, but sort of like still kept the heroic protection protection vibe about it you were very much like Mm -hmm. you want to tell this this sort of more like like grounded like story trying to protect people because they made their own street game they were like constantly getting attacked and i want to know i've been wanting to know ever since the kickstarter where that idea spawned from because it felt like there was more in the background that like that this like some like this story needed to be told for somebody, and I want I want to mm-hmm. like, bounce off of you for that. It's um <clears throat> it's kind of a twofold thing. Um, firstly, there was
1: a very um clinical and matter of fact thing which I needed to do was that um I needed to tell stories which weren't about superheroes if I was ever going to get a gig at Marvel or DC. Who are writing superheroes. They I was told in explicit and no uncertain terms by a big name writer at one of those publishers um, that editors won't even consider me if the only content I'm making is superhero content. Wow. Because they don't look at superhero content for people to write their superhero content, which baffles me still but I kind of get it um I kind of get it in the sense of like they want to show see what you can do like what you can write and like you know outside of the superhero context etc but also there's an element it's sh- like surely showing that you can do a superhero story well is a good way of sh- of knowing but that, that person will do your superhero stories well right. but anyway um so there was so there was an element but like I was thinking like i need to do something which is not superheroes and there was also the fact that like much like acceptable losses and doing something which was grim and gritty i wanted to do something which was not superheroes because then i can show that i can do something which isn't superheroes like it was another way of showing the broadness of my capability Um, but also I still was in the heights of my dreams of working with Marvel DC um, and, yeah, was told in no no uncertain terms, but, yeah, you need to do something which isn't superheroes. And so I started trying to think, like, what that would be. Um, The other place where it came from was back when uh, I was going through all this thought process and everything, Um, I, my day job, um, at the time I was living at home with my parents, um, and my day job is 20 miles away, um, in the capital city of Wales, Cardiff. So I had to take a train and commute every single day, um, which was an hour each way. Um, so two hours of my day, I was sat on a train, um, and I should have probably read more books or something like that, but like, I don't know, I just couldn't on a train. I wound up just getting hooked into my phone to be fair me having a troubling addiction with social media and my phone and technology is not something which has gone away. Um, and it's <laughs> probably something I will have to deal with at some point, but we're not there yet. Um, it's a work in yeah. progress. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I would be on my phone a lot and I'd be like reading news and like, I, most people know because like i then been be on Twitter then being like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened or whatever. Um, but there was an aspect of news which, I didn't often talk about on Twitter because that didn't feel like it was in any way conducive and it didn't feel like it was like anything I could say would actually help um, in that arena. Um, And that was reading stories about rising um, figures of hate crimes in the UK against uh, the gay community and the trans community and the wider LGBTQIA community as a whole, um, but particularly against trans and um, gay men. And I it, it made me feel angry, <clears throat> and it made me like I will I will be the first to admit, like I write superhero stories for God's sake, I will be the first to admit that my um, sort of progressive, and evolved humanity state is not as evolved as I would like to think and my lizard brain is still very active in me and what it made me think was I want to grab a baseball bat and beat the shit out of every one of those motherfuckers who hits one of my gay brothers and sisters out there and
0: I mean I'm right there with you on most days I feel you
1: yeah and that made me think like do I have you know is that the right way to react is that the right Thing to think is that am I am I a good person if I feel like that if I if I if I want to do that and that got me thinking about things like you know rage and like um, our sort of anger and how we view those sort of feelings as inherently negative, but also how treating those um, feelings as negative and treating those actions as inherently negative. Is a way of controlling um, the queer community because Ooh. it's basically saying don't stand up. It's basically saying don't stand up because you be you would be lowering yourself to those who have hurt you, and it's just like well the thing is if I don't stand up they're just going to keep kicking me while I'm on the ground. Wow. So it got that that way that story came from. Then it was about being to tell something about queer rage and the fact that we have a right to it and that it has a purpose and it has a use and not that I am advocating for anyone to you know yassify a, a baseball bat and start beating the shit out of motherfuckers oh, yeah, um, no. I'm just saying I actually don't know can I swear on this podcast? oh yeah, no we,
0: we oh honey it's, it's totally fine
1: <laughs> um so it I'm, I'm not advocating for that and I'm not calling for it and anyone reads the story <clears throat> will see, but obviously that that is ultimately something we do explore in that story. But there is an element to me which thought like, you know what, we have a right to be angry and we have the right to rage and wail and scream against those who, who would do us harm. And that's where that story came from. It was about exploring it and... If not advocating it, still celebrating it, still celebrating that you know that anger, that rage, actually got us to where we are now. Um, and I think a lot of the time, the pa- nowadays, like this, this is not touched on in the book, but it's certainly what that's something I've been thinking about recently. Um, a lot of the time, that sort of pacification um, of queer rage and and that energy that we had in our fight for um, improving our rights and equality is a big part of why we are seeing them being torn away now and why we are seeing them being pulled down and attacked because for so long we've been told not to stand up that we shouldn't be speaking to power and that we, we shouldn't be angry that it has made us an easier target again.
0: Um, well, not only that; it's that I, I notice, even for a lot of people, like in our community, is that mm-hmm. we're kind of getting tired. Like it, yeah. we, we, we keep having to do this the song and dance for so long. Mm-hmm. Hell, I remember like even when, <laughs> I, when I went to Cleveland Pride a few weeks ago. It was like there was literally just a guy with a megaphone telling us we're all sitting, and we're like, bro, like, can, can yeah. we have a day? Like, 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 like it's just. It's unbearable. like online a lot of days. Like that's, that's that's kind of what they want. They want to beat us down, so we have to keep standing back exactly. up, and it sucks. And,
1: but the thing is, like the thing with
0: anger and the thing with rage,
1: as much as you know they can lead to bad things. I mean, you know, if you don't think while you are angry and while you are enraged, if you just let it con- take control, that can be bad. But the thing with those feelings, they give you energy. They they make you stand up. They make you want to fight back. And I think that is something that was lost a little bit um, in sort of the the queer fight for equality, and something we could do with getting back. Um, And that is, you know, we need to get angry again Um, because you know it is that anger which I think is going to help protect us when. The world right now is not the safest place for the trans community. It's not the safest place for anyone in the LGBTQ community, frankly, right now. Um, so yeah, that, that was that was kind of where this came from. It came from queer age and wanted to do that, but also from specifically not wanting to do a superhero story and do something which is specifically not superheroes. Um <clears throat> and I, when I was formulating the story that I then quickly became a case of just like, I want to do something set in Britain. I haven't done anything set in Britain yet. and That's um, true, you really haven't. Yeah, I'm like, I'm British, why have I not done anything set in Britain? Um, make, make it more, um, <clears throat> more interesting, I've still, well, I should say I've not done anything set in Wales. Technically, Stips, which never got finished, was set in Wales. Um, but other than that, like I've not done any of my own stories set in Wales as yet
0: um but
1: why I do you think that is like
0: hmm? why do you think that is um like is it is it, does it come from the desire to like sort of please the american audience in a way or like is it just like a way to sort of escape from like your, your normal everyday life
1: yes and no to the former definitely no to the to the latter like okay. i i i love my country and i love wales and um so i i don't feel the need to escape which is odd because certainly growing up i used to think i want to emigrate to america and then i went to study in america for six months and i decided i could not live here um <laughs> and that was purely because the vast majority were voted for idiots like george w bush and um were like you have no health care like how how can you have no health care like you uh, are, uh, uh,
0: yeah, I, you guys I, are I a western civilization, you're the
1: steepest of modern democracy and modern um, and modernity as a whole, and yet you don't have healthcare, it's baffling to me, um, so like that was, six months of that was enough to make me feel like, yeah, I, I, I like being in the UK, um, <laughs> of course, you know, we are very determined to fuck that up lately, so we'll see how things go, Um but yeah, I, I generally love Wales, so it's got nothing to do with like wanting to get out of Wales. And I've certainly got ideas for stories which would be set in Wales and sort of tell more about you know what it's like here and my life here and sort of like um, the, you know Welshness, just Welshness, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> um, like, it's, it's just not something I've come around to yet. Um, in terms of <clears throat> trying to appeal to a wider audience. There is an element of that, I think, though. Um, like audiences sometimes will get turned off if a story is set in a specific location, um, if they are not familiar with that location, right. which is sad um, and not helpful. But because I personally, have a way around, I love reading things which are set in different locations because then it feels like I get a bit of an insight to that location, even if I've never got the chance to visit there. So right. It's it's very interesting how that works out sometimes. So like it's made writing stories set in Wales very difficult um, because I would have to think of a way to be like, right, OK, I want to set it in Wales, but I want everyone to buy it. So how can I talk about Wales and specifically the Welsh experience in such a way that people who are not welsh are going to relate to um so like I, someday i'll get there um i just haven't worked out exactly how yet um but i am making it a habit now of trying to include welsh characters wherever i can oh, because okay. yeah because like back in the day like I say i was like doing the lgbtq characters because you never saw them in superhero comics wherever And like the number of welsh characters in superhero comics you can count on one half so, yeah, like, you, know, you don't even need, and you don't even need the whole hand. So, I was just like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I, I need to, I, I need to correct that. There needs to be more Welsh characters.
0: So, um,
1: yeah, um, it's something I'm working on. Okay,
0: okay. I, I, kinda, I, I love that you're, you're a big fan of your country. I, I appreciate oh, yeah. that you're not going like to run away with it. And, like, I hope I didn't come off, like, disrespectful by like, no, no, the escapism at thing. I, like, because I definitely... Like they tell you to write what you know, but also mm-hmm. like your your work definitely seems as if you wanna like help the, the the reader itself attach to it rather than yourself. So that had to be
1: something yeah. there's um and, and like that particular piece of writing advice has always been something which you know, it's been something has been said to me specifically by teachers and things like that. And it's not something I've particularly ascribed to because if you only write what you know, then you're gonna write about the same things all the time um so yeah. I, to me i'm a bit like you know <clears throat> there is some truth to the statement write what you know but don't don't let that be um a way of saying don't learn anything new you know yeah. um so like for me like write what you know just means that like if you're gonna write about someone who is not like you or a, a, a place which is not somewhere you've ever been or anything like that do some bloody research. Um, yeah, that's that's all that means to me. But there are so many writers, I think, out there who do write what you know and use that as an excuse to like never write a person of color um, or never write a queer person. And it's just like, mm, no, that's that's not what we were saying. That's not what we meant.
0: It's called educate yourselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is it. All right. All right. And then. The like the, the last book you've done recently, which I definitely want to get into a, a topic of just Kickstarter books in general. Once we we highlight this, is the miracles and like I feel as if this was your big swing to be like, all right, if you want a mainstream style, but like maybe Image might have published this book. This was your big swing for the fences, and I really enjoyed it. And I I, I want to know where this one was birthed at. Like, am I kind of on the nose, or like, am I like, totally in the wrong field? No, no, you're, you're kind of right, It's um, <clears throat> it was kind
1: of me aiming at that sort of vibe of a superhero story, but also kind of also trying to, and it, this only occurred to me recently, like I don't even think I was pat about, I was like actively aware that that was what I was doing, but then when I look at the book and what, like particularly like even like how it's printed and things like that, I realized that this was me aiming more at perhaps a book market and, and young adult oh. readers, as opposed to traditional comic book readers. Because, you know, there's so much about, I think that particular story um, that I feel is, you know, something the young adult readership crowd who read young adult books, young adult graphic novels in, you know, which they're picking up in bookstores as opposed to comic shops, Mm. um, would enjoy. And it's not even, like I say, it's not even something I was actively aware I was doing um, until like, I just, suddenly started, um, I was at a Comic-Con recently, and I, I just started saying like, oh, it's a young adult book. And I went like, wait a minute, it is. It, it's a young adult book. I'm like, why, <laughs> how, how did that not occur to me? Um, so yeah, it's my first young adult graphic novel. Um, and for me, <clears throat> it's a story which has actually been in my head <clears throat> for as long as the Pride has. Ooh. It's um, something which has been there for ages. It's obviously <clears throat> mutated and changed and gone back and forth on in terms of like genre and style and all this, <clears throat> all kinds of times. Because um, obviously we're talking about essentially a book which has only come out now, um, really this year technically, um, but but I have been playing with for over a decade. So <clears throat> the the when I was like younger. Um, as much as I have the fantasies of like, you know, read, from reading the X Men books of maybe one day I'll go to that special school where everyone will be like me. <laughs> um, there was also a, the idea of like, oh, well, what if one day I found out that I did have superpowers? And like, what if I found out that there was more to my life than what I knew and stuff like that? And then that fantasy became like a story and, you know, built from there. And that became the miracles. Um, and it became just about, telling another aspect of life which you know I think about a lot and which you know is important to me but which I hadn't really covered I, I couldn't really cover in the pride very much because you know, in a superhero team book there's not necessarily a huge scope for this kind of story but I to talk to
0: about,
1: yeah exactly but I wanted to talk about family and like what family means and like what what how families interact with each other um, and things like that. So yeah, it's it was very much a big thing, and it's um, one of those things where, like that one, I do hope will we'll be telling more in that world. Hopefully, um, I definitely know where the next two um, plots would go, and I definitely know how they'd be structured and everything. I just, you know, I just want to see how well we do with the miracles. <clears throat> first certainly it's been going well so far the kickstarter obviously did very well um there was very, it, it was and if anything for that i would say it's not even so much how much money we took wherever because you know what a kickstarter ends on is not what you wind up taking home um so like and like there was there were some <clears throat> discrepancies there unfortunately um a lot of which comes from brexit and timings and everything so it just didn't work out very great for us um, which is why it's taken me so long to get this book out. Because um, obviously I'm working by myself as well, like shipping these books. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's been difficult, but like hopefully like say, we'll see how we continue with that series. Hopefully what I'd really love to see is maybe a publisher pick up a series <clears throat> to release it on a wider release. Like e- even if it's like a slight change in format and everything to do like a, you know, a new edition but something which is maybe more, which is orderable by comic shops and bookstores everywhere and can maybe achieve, reach a wider audience um, than I can achieve by myself. Um, so, yeah, but if that does really well, then, then hopefully there'll be more of the miracles and we'll get to sort of go back to that world because there's a lot more story to tell. Um, but I specifically knew that, like, the way I wanted to tell this particular graphic novel was that if we never get to continue it, this story is everything you need. Like there, there's, you know, there's an, I don't want to say open-ended because that kind of implies there isn't an ending, but there's a definite ending to this story. It's just, um, <clears throat> there's a door there for me to come back, you know? Yeah, um, we're, we're going to leave that door that
0: way. Like yeah, you leave it with a It's
1: a not a subtle door. It's a very much a wide open door. So hopefully we'll get to come back to that world because um, I definitely have a lot more Stories to tell with the miracles and continue to fuck up their lives. So yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, so one thing that I've been doing with with, the, with these Pride annual episodes is I always I, I end with two questions. The first one is, if like, what would you, like for any queer creators or just any queer like, like kids in general that or like that listen to the show, what mm-hmm. do you want to like, like 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 tell them in regards to creating their own work?
1: Um, <clears throat> I would say in, in terms of regards to creating your own work, like the first thing I would say, and, and this is going to sound like a bit of a, um, a, a little bit of a hand wavy comment, but like, just do it. Like there's so many people who seem to be, and you know, I'm one of them. I was one of them. I waited for so long, almost as if I was waiting for someone to give me permission and no one was going to do that. I was lucky in that I had those two friends who were over who I was already making co- a comic with anyway who stood over my shoulder and read pride and said you I, you should make this because if I didn't have those people then maybe the pride would never come out and who knows where I'd be now so for me but I was lucky in that I I didn't have someone to give me permission but like who said like I should give it a go, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people who seem to be waiting for that, <clears throat> who's like, oh, I haven't written anything because you know I I I I wouldn't know how to find an artist or I wouldn't know how to do this. And it's just like you don't know until you do it. And that is how I learned to do it. I went out and I spoke to people. I went out and just started asking artists, do you want to make something and stuff like that. So the first thing I would say is just do it. Don't wait for someone to give you permission because no one's coming. Um, all right. The second thing I would probably say is just um, <clears throat> when you are doing it and when you are making your books, don't, don't sit in a dream world thinking like, right, I'm going to tell this book and then I'm going to get picked up and it's going to be all, all lollipops and rainbows from there on. You know, it's that's not how it works. Unfortunately, particularly for queer creators, And queer stories they are harder than most to get out um which is not to say that if that's the kind of story and content you want to make that you shouldn't be doing it you absolutely should but prepare to work hard and you are going to work hard and that is a shame. I wish I could say it was going to be easier. And I wish I could say, but you know, everyone's going to love it. It's going to be amazing. And I think there's a lot of people who might feel like a little bit of surprise for that because they've seen things like Heartstopper now and they've been like, oh, but like everyone loves Heartstopper. Everyone buys it. It's just like, do you know how long it took them
0: to get yeah. to that
1: point with Heartstopper?
0: Took a long time.
1: Heartstopper's been going almost as long as the pride. Like it has been a long, long time for Alice Oseman to get to this position. Um and, that, and took many missteps. Like you know, obviously the, the story I think was being told in a different format before it got put on Webtoon. It was when it got onto Webtoon but it started building a real audience. Mm-hmm. And obviously they, she did a Kickstarter which then got picked up by publishers. So there was a Kickstarter version of the book and then the general release version of the book. And then it got picked up by Netflix. It doesn't happen overnight. She's been doing that work for years. And it's the same with any kind of queer content. You're probably going to be sitting on it for years. I've been writing The Pride, and I'll admit it, I've been writing The Pride for 12 years. And so like, you might be thinking, well, that includes up to now, Joe. You said you haven't released anything new for The Pride in three years. I know. Doesn't mean I haven't been writing it. <laughs> it's been written. There are another two seasons written of The Pride. Oh my They've just not been made yet. So that's what I would have to say. You are going... To have to just do it, no one's coming to give you permission, and the end of the day, it's going to be hard. But, and this would be my final thought, to anyone who's feeling discouraged by what I've said, you shouldn't be, because you've lived through that, you know what it's like, and you know that you survived it, and you know you got through it. So you know that you can do this. You don't have to act discouraged. You don't have to feel bad. Yes, it's hard. That doesn't mean it's not worth it. And let me tell you, when that first person comes to you and says, thank you so much for creating this thing I've never felt I was
0: seen before
1: now, it is the best feeling in the entire universe
0: it's ironic because i did the same thing to you <laughs>
1: yeah you know it's it it is what it is and it's it's amazing it's amazing when i get to hear things like that and and here, here's the other thing um <laughs> i feel like i'm just discouraging loads of people out but i'm just like Not. no like i'm, mean I'm, I'm really? in a tea-spilling mood apparently um you will not get that every day. You will, a big part of where I'm saying like things will be difficult is, unfortunately, people who want to criticize you um, and your work and your existence are the people who will be more than happy to tell you. Um, not to your face, like on Twitter, like, you know, it, it, ain't, it ain't really real. But the people who, who love what you do don't tell you as often because they just assume that you know because you know you've created this thing they love they just assume you know that you've done the good thing um so like i say you need to learn to cherish it when people do tell you the good things and you need to not listen to the people who are telling you like we i asked for criticisms the you know the unfiltered and unadulterated nastiness, which you'll get on social media and things like that. Um, And, you know, invest in a good blockchain. Like, seriously, just block them all. They're not worth listening to. Um, At the end of the day, that kind of is not constructive criticism. The people who don't want to get that, like, constructive criticism has its place, but, like, the people who are just wanting to criticize... Blatant attacks. Yeah, blatant attacks and everything, don't let them get to you. Like, yes, you'll probably get it a lot and you'll probably see it a lot, but don't let it get to you. Um, cherish the moments when someone does give you positive feedback um, and try and focus on those more than anything else. Um, Gail, someone actually gave me great advice about that actually years ago, um, but it was back in the Tumblr days, if you can remember when Tumblr was actually yes. good. Um, so I was I'd had some negative feedback um, about the pride it was reviewed by someone who admitted in the review that they hadn't read the first issue um yeah but then went on to review the first issue um and talked about how it was clearly artless because i was a white cis gay male um and i was i just yeah it it really got me angry and really got me pissed off really got me um feeling a some kind of way um but and I asked Gail, because like I said, like, Gail, you get this shit all the time as well, like, so like, how do you deal with it? And she just said to me, "Is like, like, do you really, do you get nice comments, she said about, about the pride. And I was like, yeah, sure, I get nice comments. She's like, do you spend as much energy on thinking about those as you do about these kind of comments? And, like, she knew the answer. She didn't even wait for me to answer because, like, she knew the answer. I and mean, the answer was, no, I didn't. I didn't give it that much energy. I gave the negative comments way more energy. And she just went, don't you think that's rude? And it is. It's rude. It's like, I, sh- you know, I, you shouldn't let, give more energy to your haters than those who love, respect and support you. So... That's another piece of advice.
0: I mean, um, like, yeah, that that's
1: advice cool. for anyone who is queer existing in the world, frankly. Sure. Um, sure. not just queer writers or creators at all. But um that was some advice which I've tried to live by. It is easier said than done. Um, that but makes I, sense. I, I yeah. to live by it as much as possible.
0: say, um, yeah, you you totally hit the nose there and I like ironically we're planning to have her on the, the show soon. So I, I oh, love that that you kind of like Kind of gave a, a good a good like like tail there um <laughs> like and you even like answer my second question which is like what like what do you like what is your closing statement you like hit that right on the nose without me having to ask you so i just want i want to thank you for being on the show and helping us celebrate the month because like yeah can we talk about stuff all the time absolutely we did queer history month in october but like it, it, it matters the most especially now in this current day and age that we Like be the queer podcast to help people out and go big because these stories do matter so I appreciate you coming on the show today.
1: I appreciate you asking me to come on it's been really fantastic and um, yeah thank you for having me and yeah thank you for supporting my work um, as well and hopefully people will enjoy the next big thing as well Um, the the Young Men in Love Anthology which is coming up next month so yeah hopefully that will be another big thing for everyone to enjoy.
0: I was say, you have you always will have an, like an invitation to come on the show because you just, I, I i can listen to you rant for days. <laughs> um but yeah we're, we're uh we'll catch you folks next time right in